Welcome to the final week of our Simplify Message series. We're so glad that you're here. I want to say hi, Rock Island. Glad you're here. Hi to our friends in Bettendorf and watching online. This has been a great series, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been. For those of you who couldn't hear at Bettendorf, a whole four people at Rock Island thought it's been a great series. And uh, no, this has, been, this has just been a fantastic journey for us to walk through. And I'm so glad I get to help us wrap up this message series. My name, for those of you who don't know me, is Jeremiah. I get to be part of the team here. And I've been part of the team for about eight months or so now. And so about eight months ago, my family and I moved to the area and we have loved every moment of being part of the Quad Cities community and being part of the Heritage family. You've welcomed us so well. We feel loved. We feel connected. And we just feel like we couldn't ask for a better place to raise our kids and to be uh, engaged in the community. We love it here. But I have a confession to make. I did not grow up in the Midwest. Now, don't hold that against me, okay? Because as I just said, we love it here. It's fantastic. And our kids are growing up here. So that's got to count for something, right? Now, where I did grow up was in the, in the, uh, in the southwest uh, in Arizona. I grew up in the southeast corner of Arizona, a few miles north of the Mexican border. And uh, some things that are going to be helpful to know about growing up in that area. One is that there are times during much of the year when all of the vegetation where I grew up are just different colors of brown. Okay? There's like light brown and dark brown. And most of the vegetation there is designed to hurt you. It's just, there's like, there are, there, are, there are barbs and thorns and spines and even the grass, okay? Like the prairie grass, when it is, uh, when it's dry, is sharp. Like it just hurts. It feels like everything is designed to somehow maim or injure you, okay? Now, when I was about uh, three and a half or four years old, I saw on TV uh, a kid walking his dog in his neighborhood. And I thought, like, that looks like something little boys should do. They should go walk their dogs. The problem being, we lived in the middle of nowhere, all right? So I didn't have a neighborhood because I didn't have neighbors. In fact, the, we were about a, a six or seven minute drive, give or take, to our mailbox, and then the nearest store was about 15 or so minutes away, and it was the feed store. So you could get groceries for your horse, but not for you. And so, like, this is just kind of where we grew up, this kind of small ranch out in the middle of nowhere. That is important, too, because we had about 20 acres of land surrounded by old barbed wire fence, okay? So here I am, all of three and a half or four, and I decide that Jojo, our 80-pound German shepherd, needs to go for a walk. I hooked Jojo up to the leash, a leash that he had been on exactly never. <laughs> and I took 80-pound Jojo outside, made sure we were good. I started thinking, I know you guys are like, who is this guy and how, how really not smart is he? But 
I started to think ahead and thought, you know, this is a big dog. He could get away from me a little bit. So I made sure I wrapped the leash around my hand good and tight, okay? Because that dog wasn't going to get away from me. We had an amazing leisurely stroll for about three seconds. And then it turned into the most terrifying drag of my life. There's this little 27-pound Jeremiah flailing behind 80-pound Jojo as he runs ramshackle after a jackrabbit, which are known for being slow and running in a straight line, right? Jojo, hot on his trail, pulls me through all kinds of grass, which remember, even the grass hurts, over little tiny mesquite trees, which are these I don't know where they came from. I don't know that God is the one who designed them. Let's just say that. Little bushes that are full of spines and thorns over that. And then one of the things you need to know, if you're not familiar with the West, is that cactus grows everywhere, but it grows in patches. All right? So you don't just like stumble upon cactus. You stumble upon whole patches of cactus. The jackrabbit trying to get away from the dog is thinking, right, where do you go when you don't want Jojo didn't care. It didn't care. So I end up, finally, things stop. I'm so glad he stopped before he got me entangled in the barbed wire fence. But he stops. I am face down with my face full of dirt, my mouth, my nose, my ears, and I'm just in pain. All I know is that I had in mind what this was supposed to look like. It was supposed to look like the little boy on the TV (laughs) going for a walk in his neighborhood. And I ended up not there, no, no, I ended up way over here in the briar patch, right? Covered in spines and stickers and just all kinds of goodness. I remember kind of when I finally got my breath, breathing in to call for help and had to choke down all the dirt and snot first, and then crying out for help, parents and grandparents coming over, picking me up, and it felt like days and days and days of recovery, all because I just wanted to take JoJo for a walk. Now, I know what you're thinking, all right? If you're like, we knew Heritage should not bring that guy on for his brains. (laughs) And you're right, it was for my looks. Mm -hmm. Okay, so back now to the story of JoJo, all right? I feel like there are those of us here listening right now who we would say, I've never been dragged through the stuff by a German shepherd, but I sure have been dragged through rough patches in life where I feel like I know what I have in mind, I know where I want to end up, I know what things should look like, but somehow I end up in a totally different space, broken, bruised, bleeding, and crying out for help. Not not only not where I wanted to be, but I need someone to help me get up. Have any of you ever felt that way in the stuff of life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we feel that way when it comes to relationships. We can feel that way when it comes to our careers. We can feel that way when it comes even sometimes to church life. But I think the place where we find ourselves in that predicament most often is when it comes to the German shepherd of our stuff, where our stuff pulls us and drags us where we didn't think we would ever be. And somehow now we're stuck in needing help. That's been part of the human condition for a long, long time. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, where your stuff is, the rest of your life will follow. You may have read it this way, where your heart, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But I wonder, what if things could be different for us? 
What if this year we didn't have to be dragged what feels like willy-nilly beyond our own strength into things we never saw coming? What if this year could be different? What if 2016, you and I could finally get a handle on the German shepherd of our stuff, and instead of being dragged through life by our stuff, we started making our stuff work for us in life? It could change everything for us, couldn't it? There's actually a story in Scripture that really highlights some of this idea for us. But the first thing we we need to understand as we begin digging through this is that our relationship with our stuff ultimately reveals where we find our significance. Our relationship with our stuff ultimately reveals where we find our significance. Think about it. How we handle our stuff shows us whether we use people to get more things or we use our things to help people. How we handle our stuff, our relationship with our stuff, ultimately reveals where we find our significance. And as I said, there's a passage in Scripture that helps us clarify that and and dig through that a little better and kind of begin to see what I mean by that. But before we get there, we're going to be in Exodus 35 if you want to turn there or click there. But before I get there, I want you to hear this. What we're talking about today is not the volume of stuff that we have. You notice it didn't say how much stuff we have shows us where our significance is. No, no, it's the relationship we have with our stuff. This is true whether we have very little or quite a bit. It's the perspective we have on our stuff and how we interact with it regardless of how much there is, that begins to reveal where we place, where we find our significance, okay? Whether that's okay or not, that's the statement that's out there right now, okay? So, all right, now in Exodus 35, we come across this passage of Scripture that is uh, about a group of former slaves called Hebrews. Now, the Hebrews had been given a promise by God himself that they would be his special people on a special mission. In uh, the context of the Simplify series, we would say God had given them early on their white hot why. And if you don't know what I mean when I say that, it's a good opportunity, especially if you're watching online, pause, go back to the beginning of the message series and watch the first message. If you're here live, don't do that, okay? But uh, when you get home, go check out the first message series because Pastor Justin did a great job of unpacking our white hot why. But God gives clear direction to these people. He tells them they're going to be his special people with special relationship with him. And then they find themselves in slavery for 400 years in the most powerful country on the planet. One of the wealthiest countries that existed. They find themselves in slavery for 400 years. God finally sends rescue to them. He sends a man named Moses who comes and leads them out of that slavery. God frees them. And then they become a group of former slaves, but who are now wanderers. Both of those things have in common this reality. They have nothing. Okay? They have nothing. Say nothing. All right. Bettendorf, I hope you did a better job. They have nothing. As slaves, they didn't own their land, they didn't own their homes, they, they had to create their own clothing out of what was around them. They might have had enough livestock to help feed their own family, but even that was given by their owners or by the pharaoh, they had nothing. And then as wanderers, they, they have like a tent to live in kind of thing that they're, that they're carrying with them everywhere they go. 
all right? Now, as it comes to, to pass, as they're journeying, it's time for them to start living into their white-hot why of pointing people to God, of creating space to worship him and letting people know that their God is unlike any other God, that he is holy and good and righteous and powerful. And as part of that, they are instructed to create this portable worship tent called a tabernacle, okay? The tabernacle is supposed to be outfitted with all kinds of amazing, beautiful, wealthy type instruments of worship, covered in gold and silver and all kinds of royal coloring. Its, its whole existence is to point the way that God is unlike any other God that there is. But remember, these people were slaves and wanderers. Don't they have nothing? Here's what happens in, uh, in Exodus here. It says, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and, lin- and fine linen, goat hair, because, you know, that's what you bring to an offering, right? I don't know why, but that's my favorite part, the goat hair. Just bring, bring your extra goat hair. But what I want you to see here is he says, from what you have, okay? From what you have, slaves, wanderers, from what you have, bring these things. That's important, okay? Just kind of file that away. It's also important to note that they're not told they have to do this. It says that those who are willing, so bring what you want out of what you have, okay? File that away under, we're going to come back to that in a second, all right? So, As the story continues, we then see this little episode in the next chapter, all right? It says, then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already already had was more than enough to do all the work. What they already had was more than enough to do the work. Can you picture this? All right? The guy up front whose, whose job in this moment is raising money. Let's just say it, okay? His job in this moment is like raising capital. And at one point he stands up and he's like, guys, you are doing too good a job at this. You have to stop. We have too much treasure. Please, please stop bringing it. We don't know what to do with all of it. How amazing is that? It's amazing, okay? It's just amazing. So how does a group of former slaves, now wanderers, come across so much treasure, so much stuff, that they can't even give it all away? We find the answer to that earlier in their story. In Exodus chapter 12, as they're getting ready to leave the land of their captivity, this is what we read. Uh, Exodus 12, 35 and following. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold, and clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. You catching what's happened? The people who have oppressed the Hebrews for 400 years, who have, who have crushed them under the weight of slavery, who have committed terrible acts of genocide against their people, These ruling class, these wealthy folks, give their gold and their silver. They give the very best of their household to the Hebrews. In a sense, it's almost like whatever it takes for you to leave, 
Please take it and go. Because life had gotten pretty tough in Egypt around that time. It's a fascinating story. You can check it out in the book of Exodus. What happened here, and you need to track this, okay, is that the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, received gifts from the people of Egypt that were reminders, constant reminders when they were in slavery of the might and the power and the wealth of the Egyptian people. Constant reminders of the subjugation of the Hebrew people. Constant reminders for them of the lack of hope. Can this get any better? Will it be any different? How can we, a ragtag group of slaves, ever have a different existence when they are so rich, when they are so powerful, when they worship gods so unlike our God? What are we to do? How can we do it? And what it highlights for me is this, that the stuff of our captivity can be transformed into objects of worship. The stuff of our captivity can be transformed into objects of worship. God rescued these people from bondage, from captivity, from slavery. He interacted with them in a miraculous way and brought them out of oppression. And then he allows them to take their stuff, stuff that as they had been wandering around with, picture this, they are fleeing from Egypt because there are people who want to destroy them now that they're gone. They're fleeing from Egypt with their arms full of treasure. And it's not like they can give it to each other because everyone now is just as rich as they are, right? What are you going to do on the nomad trail with a bunch of treasure when you can't even trade it with each other? And yet, here they are holding onto it, moving from place to place. And it reminds me that when you and I are living in the mindset of someone who was once a slave... When we're stuck in that mindset of captivity, we live in a scarcity mindset, don't we? There there just isn't going to be enough. There can't possibly be enough. There's going to come a time when I'm going to really wish I had held on to all that stuff because I don't know that I can trust God to be the one who provides who goes before. They lived in a scarcity mindset, and God begins to move them to a place where he takes the objects of their captivity, transforms them, transforms them into objects of worship, and they begin to live differently. You see, because our relationship with our stuff ultimately reveals where we find our significance. God begins to shift the Israelites' relationship with their stuff and remind them that they need to find their significance not in what was, not in the pain of their journey before, although they can learn from that, but now they can find their significance and their identity in him. And things don't have to be the way that they were. They can experience something new. And that's true for us. When it comes to the physical treasure that we have, the the things that we collect, the things that we pursue, for some of us, those are reminders of our captivity. They're reminders of our captivity in a way of life that we wish we could get out of, but it feels impossible. They're reminders of our bondage to an addiction or a challenge where it feels there is no hope. They're reminders of the fact that we are stuck in a cycle of pursuit of more stuff and more stuff and more stuff because that's what you do in North America. And yet our hearts cry out and say there must be something more. And there is. And it doesn't have to be that way. But when we step into relationship with Jesus, 
He can take the stuff of our captivity and transform it into objects of worship. He can take the the not-so-physical things, but the very real parts of our stories. Those things where we've endured great hardship and pain. Those of us who are maybe in a season right now where we wonder why we are journeying through the challenge and the brokenness that we are. And we're reminded on every side of how hard it is and how hurt we are. And I want you to hear this. Jesus can take the stuff of your captivity and he can transform it into an object of worship, an object for worship. I like to imagine what it was for one of the the grandkids or great-grandkids of these initial travelers to tell stories to their children of what they had heard life was like in Egypt. And later on down the way as their family is gathered for worship at the tabernacle and later the temple to be able to say, you know, when great-grandpa Joe left slavery in Egypt, he got so much stuff. It was stuff that reminded him of the life that was. It reminded him that he was a slave who was worthless and hopeless. But then God invited him to give what he would. And when he did, well, you see that basin over there? That basin that we use to worship the Most High God? Yeah, that, that's because great-grandpa Joe allowed his identity to shift a little bit. He stopped thinking of himself as a slave and a wanderer and started living out the white-hot why that God had created within him all along church, there are those of us today who we need to stop living as slaves and wanderers and lean into the white hot why that God has for us. It will change everything. And when we do that, hear this, when we transform, when we allow our stuff to be transformed by the power of Jesus in relationship with him from objects of our captivity to implements of worship, we begin to stop being dragged about by the German shepherd of our stuff, and we actually start directing the German shepherd of our stuff. He's not taking us for a drag, we start taking him for a walk, and everything changes. It's, it's an incredible gift that God gives us when we interact with Jesus and experience his freedom. And if you've never done that today, there's opportunity for you to do that. You can right now ask Jesus to be the one who forgives and leads you. And watch what he does in your place of captivity. You, if you're looking for next steps on how to do that, they're in your sermon notes guide. And there are people here wearing name tags who would love to share with you how to take those next steps. God can transform the objects of our captivity and use them in worship for himself. It's amazing and incredible. But what do we do with that? So what? I mean, it's an interesting conversation, the the story of the Israelites, that's pretty cool, but what do we do with that? And I think it leads us to a place where we need to ask ourselves this question. It's right here. How does God want to use your stuff to shift your sense of significance and identity? How does God want to use your stuff to shift your sense of significance and identity? 
Our stuff isn't bad. Having stuff is not a bad thing. But when stuff drives us, when the German shepherd of our stuff leads us to places we don't want to go, we have a problem. And God can shift that for us. He can use our stuff to shift our sense of significance and identity. I think there are a few ways for you and me to be positioned to answer that question. Right? There are a few ways where, where we can kind of position ourselves to answer that question with integrity, with clarity. All right? The first one is this, that we seek financial mastery. We seek mastery in our finances. There are those of us who, if, if you're like me, you've been through seasons, maybe you're in one now, where your heart's desire and your cry is, is oh, that you would experience financial freedom. No more crushing debt, no more challenge. Oh, that you would just experience financial freedom. And I believe God has freedom for us as we obey Him, but I think those of us who are seeking financial freedom are actually stopping short of God's best for us. Because the opposite of slavery in this instance isn't freedom, but mastery. To actually master our finances. We can take steps that allow us to do that. Now imagine if I had shared with you that after my interesting experience with Jojo, that the next day I decided, man, something, something just wasn't quite right with that. So I went into our utility room, found the leash, hooked him back up, and said, all right, let's try this again. And ended up in another briar patch. Now, it took a couple more days for recovery, but then once I was feeling good, I went out there, I hooked Jojo up to the leash, and we went for another drag. I thought, well, something's got to change. Oh, that things would be different. I went, and I hooked Jojo up, and so hopefully my parents or my grandparents or somebody would love me enough, right, to keep me from doing that. But the reality is, when it comes to the German shepherd of our stuff, especially in the realm of our finances, there are those of us who day after day, we walk through the same scenario, challenge after challenge, hoping that today will be different, though we've changed nothing. And you know, there's a definition of insanity out there that says insanity is doing the same thing time after time after time, hoping for different results. There are those of us who continue to be dragged about by the German shepherd of our finances when God would call us to master it. It's a totally different experience walking a mastered dog than it is one who doesn't know how to obey. And when we seek freedom and mastery in Jesus, when he leads us, when he is our master, and in submission to that we seek mastery over our own finances, everything can change. But it's hard to know sometimes where to start in that journey. How do we even begin in that? And I want to introduce you to a few heritage friends. These are, you're going to watch a video here in just a moment of some friends from heritage who have taken their first steps in experiencing what it is to lean into financial mastery. Check this out. Peace University, Dave Ramsey, his personal experience that he brings to the table um, helps people to realize that God can do great and mighty things, and he has done great and mighty things, 
and he will continue to do those. And he's done it in my life, Dave Ramsey's life, many people's lives that have taken Financial Peace University. I can't say my gratitude any more than that. We buy things we don't, don't need, need to, with, with money, money we, we don't, don't have, have to impress people that we don't like. And so it's just like keeping up with the Joneses. It's, it was just kind of an eye-opener, like, oh my goodness, that is what we do. So it just made us more intentional with our money, gave all of our money a purpose. Um, so it didn't just sit there and not do anything. It had an intention. takes away arguments when you both know where the money's going and how it's being spent and where it's coming from there's there's no room for arguments anymore with your finances and it just makes gives you peace and harmony when it comes to that part of your relationship for something in cash, then you really shouldn't buy it. Um, we tend to make purchases that we normally wouldn't if we use like a card or like a debit card or a credit card. Um, and we just find that, you know, if we had cash in hand, we probably wouldn't buy that thing. So I just think that it made us more aware of like all the things that we're overspending on, the things that we don't really need. Um, kind of that mentality of keeping up with the Joneses. Well, the, bro the Joneses are broke, so uh, we really don't want to be doing that a whole lot. I love that we have people who are stepping into discovering what it is to live in mastery of their finances, one little step at a time. Now, uh, FPU is not the only way to discover what it is to live out mastery in our finances, but it is, I think it's one of the best out there right now, and it's one that we're offering right now as a church. Uh, Bentendorf Campus, they started their class last week. There's still opportunity to be part of that, and there's a class starting at the Rock Island Campus in February. You can get more information in your worship folder in the uh, sermon note guide. There's all kinds of uh, resource information there. And then at each campus, we have Blue Live linked brochures that will help you discover that opportunity and some others as well. When we begin to pursue, to seek mastery in our finances, it can change everything. Just having a plan can change everything for you, for me, for us. The next thing that I think we can do that kind of positions us to answer that, that uh, predominant question of how does God want to use my stuff to shift my sense of significance and identity is that we chase our white hot why. Again, that's the concept that kicked off the Simplify series. The reality is that you were created with purpose. You were created with the opportunity to live life to its fullest. 
And that when you and I live into our white-hot why, we experience a life of meaning and adventure that we might not have been able to envision for ourselves to begin with. But the challenge with our stuff is that our stuff can either fuel our white-hot why, it can be used in the pursuit of chasing that place where our great passion and the world's great need intersect, or our stuff can get in the way of ever experiencing it. Our stuff either fuels our white-hot why or becomes a barrier in our white-hot why. In fact, there's a passage of Scripture that kind of identifies that for us. It's in, it's in uh, 1 Timothy. It's right here. The man Paul is writing to his protege Timothy and has just finished saying, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of people out there who they chase stuff for the sake of stuff. And then he says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. There's a very real sense that we cannot live out what it is to fight the good fight of the faith, to pursue and live out God's very best for us. And God's very best for us doesn't necessarily mean more or better stuff. God's very best for us means that we are living the life he designed us for, that we're bringing him honor and glory, and we're living the fullness of life that Jesus came to bring us. But there's a very real sense that that life, fighting the good fight of faith and the pursuit of stuff for the sake of stuff, that they, they do not compute together. You cannot have both. But... You can pursue your white hot why, and God will bring his provision. He will bring you what you need when you need it. We need to keep pursuing our white hot why. Is our stuff facilitating it, or is it getting in the way of it? And the third thing is this. It's that we pursue freedom. We pursue freedom. Not our own financial freedom necessarily. We've covered that. Not freedom from our pursuit of stuff. We've talked quite a bit about that. This is freedom that is beyond us. Do you realize that in our world today, there are more slaves, more people in human bondage and trafficking today than at any other time in human history? somewhere around 30-plus million people are living in very real, horrendous bondage that you and I cannot even begin to imagine. And the reason there are so many is because there is a market for what they provide. They provide the food we eat, the drinks we enjoy, the clothes we wear, the jewelry we use. One of, the, one of the biggest areas of trafficking in humans is actually related to coffee. And the stuff we buy continues the cycle of human slavery. But as freed people in Jesus, we have no business in the human slavery trade. We should have nothing to do with it. So hear me, I'm not saying give up your coffee, all right? What I am saying is that there is a way to make smarter choices, to make informed decisions when it comes to the stuff that we buy. We can buy things, the things that we use every day, our clothes, the things we drink, the jewelry we wear, the tech we use. We can buy things 
and do that in a way where we know we are pursuing ethical and fair trading, where we are helping people escape the clutches of slavery by doing what we do anyway, but being intentional in how we spend our money. In fact, in that resources section of your handout, there's a uh, ethical shopping guide link there. It's theartofsimple.net slash shopping. And it lists, it's, a, it's one tool that lists companies and where you can buy their stuff. Companies you know, all right? It's not, it's not like, you know, Uncle Bob's Fair Trade dungarees, right? It's just, it's stuff you know that you can buy knowing that human bondage is not a factor or is as little a factor in it as possible. We are called as people of freedom to offer freedom, and we can do that. And I believe for you and for me that when we live into these things and we begin to ask the question, how does God want to use my stuff to shift my sense of of identity and of significance, he will be faithful to answer that. And this year, this year, it can be different for you and for me. No longer dragged about by the German shepherd of our stuff. Another year of brokenness and bruising, but instead living in leadership in those things and experiencing God's very best. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the gift of rescue, of freedom, of more. God, I I know there are those right now listening who, God, they are overwhelmed with the stuff of life physical treasures, but then just the things that, that seem to overtake us in seasons of difficulty. Jesus, you are the one who sets the captives free. And I pray that you would show yourself faithful today. That you would set us free. You would show us where we're living in captivity. God, that you would show us what it is to take those objects of captivity and see them used in worship for you. God, would you answer our heart's cry? We want to know how you want to use our stuff to shift our sense of identity and of significance. Lord, would you bring your truth? Would you bring your hope? Would you bring your freedom to us even now? Show us how to bring you glory and honor today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.